Welcome back to today's episode where we're going to be looking at breaking the habit of watching porn. Now, in episode number 82 that I did with top psychologist Holly Damastani, we spoke about habit formation and also how to break existing habits. Now, I had multiple people email me the exact same question about breaking the habit of watching porn because obviously there's something instinctual about our sex drive attached to that habit. So I thought I'd get Hoddy back onto the show and this episode will blow your mind as it did mine. Um, it's really fascinating just discussing the, the different areas within psychology that help to attack and overcome that issue. So I really hope you enjoy today's episode and don't forget that you can access my whole back catalogue of interviews. All you have to do is search for The Gary Gun Show on either the iTunes store or any podcast player. So welcome back to the show today, Hoddy. Thank you, Gary. Good to be here as always. Oh, mate, so it's going to be an exciting episode I've got planned today. So um, we, since we did one of our last episodes about habit formation and how to break habits, I've had a couple of people contact me um, to ask me about the habit of watching porn. <laughs> so um, I thought okay. it would be, yeah, it'd be interesting to get you from a psychological perspective to talk about this. And the reason being is because I'm assuming that unlike most habits, there's a certain instinctive approach or instinctive feeling about the habit of watching porn, which is different to most other habits. Is, is that a, f a fair statement? Yes, that's absolutely a fair statement. So when you say being contacted by people, these are people that recognize that they're watching in, in their eyes sort of too much porn and they want to break that habit. Is that essentially what, what, what you're saying is in their eyes, it's a compulsion that's kind of got out of control? A hundred percent true. Yeah. I mean, there's a big movement on YouTube called NoFap, um, where people are actively not watching any porn. Um, and yeah, I mean, since habit creation is obviously an interesting topic, but again, from my, from my point of view, I, I also feel like the, the people that have contacted me are right. There is like almost a, a different system running concurrently with a habit formation. So I didn't know what, what general um, advice you could offer start first of all. Okay, well, the, the best way, the best framework, I guess, to describe this would be using the Freud psychoanalytic framework. And the main thing about Freud psychoanalytic framework is this idea that the natural state for human beings is one of conflict. Which okay. kind of makes a lot of sense immediately, doesn't it? So, Particularly when it comes to wanting to, I want to do this, but I also want to do this. That that state of ambivalence, he says, that the natural human state is one of conflict. Okay, so could you, before we go into that, could you just talk more about um, who Freud was? Um, yeah, just just general overview. So Freud was the sort of father of psycho psychology and sort of psychotherapy, psychoanalysis. So psychoanalysis, psychodynamic theory, he coined this idea of the, uh, the unconscious mind and a lot of your habits and behaviors and motives being hidden to you essentially. And this work has been built on by people like Danny Kahneman and his fantastic book. Uh, okay, so that makes sense. So he, he was really the first person that coined the unconscious mind and, and motives that you're not actually aware of as to why you're acting the way you are. Absolutely good. Yeah. So it's the idea that you'll experience symptoms, which is the problem, but actually the, the root cause of your discomfort, your disturbance, if you like, because you use a very medical based language, the root cause of your disturbance is going to remain hidden to you unless a psychoanalyst can delve deeper and extract the true meaning and the true cause of what's ha actually happening. So you also mentioned as well that we're always in a state of conflict, according to Freud. Um, could you add a bit more color to that? Absolutely. 
So as far as Freud's concerned, the way that he conceptualized the mind is there's essentially three agencies of the mind. And you may have heard of these before. So you have on the one hand, you have the id. And on the other hand, you have the superego. And this is essentially the conflict. The conflict is between the drive and wants and desires of the id and the rule book, if you like, of the superego. Okay, so let's start with the id first okay so, so these this, are this, your unconscious desires so these very much links to the the porn the instinctual drive stuff so it's your the id is like a bubbling cauldron of sexual and aggressive drives your primeval urges in, instincts and drives so these instincts so one would be a sexual instinct the other one survival I'm survival assuming. Uh, ag- aggressive Aggr- aggression yeah okay so these are all part of the the id and these are biologically, according to Freud, biologically part of every human being. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we need to try and control and contain the wishes of the very powerful id. So what happens if the id gets completely out of control? Well, if you imagine any time you've had a thought along the lines of, say, you're sort of driving along in your car and somebody cuts you up and we might have had this experience before and you think to yourself, you know, I, I could kill him. Then if you were acting on your id and there was no way of repressing that, then you would. You'd okay. follow through with that, you know. Or if it's sexual drives, you would you would live out all of your sexual fantasies in everyday life, which may sound appealing for a minute or so, but <laughs> it's going to have consequences and repercussions. So if you're living from your id and living out your sexual and aggressive desires and fantasies, then I think we can agree that might cause some problems. Okay, so that's the, the, the id part. That's the, 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 the desires and instincts in your body. And the other one was the superego. Yes, the okay. superego, the best way to describe the superego is it contains essentially your conscience. So it's your moral compass. So your superego is your moral compass, which I'm assuming you can have some control over, I guess, if you educate yourself further or you take the time to think about what is important to you, you can actually create a stronger inner compass? You, you can essentially, although a lot of these superego rules are kind of deep rooted from childhood and the sort of values that have been kind of instilled instilled on you. So for example, you know, if you have a very, um, very religious upbringing, for example, you'll have quite an overdeveloped overactive superego because you'd have a big list of of things you can't do so it's almost like what you can and can't do what is and isn't acceptable to you as a kind of moral code and yes you can have some influence over that but a lot of that is developed in childhood and as Freud believed essentially your whole personality is developed in the first sort of seven or eight years of your life and we tend to just repeat those same patterns so there's almost this counterbalance then between your primal sexual aggressive and in, um, survival feelings on one hand which is the id and to counterbalance that you have your super ego which is your rule book and that controls whether you do or don't give in to the id exactly exactly well it doesn't control it so much those are the two agencies you kind okay. of have so it's almost like the the sort of classic angel on one shoulder, devil on the other shoulder, kind of like in the cartoons, isn't it? That's a really good analogy. And then in the middle of that, you have what to, what could be referred to as the referee in the middle, which is the ego. So the ego referees in the middle and the ego will develop defense mechanisms to ward off some of the energy from the id. 
But not from the super ego. No, it's more the energy from the to contain and repress okay. the unacceptable drives, urges and desires. There's a few things here. The first one I want to delve into is um, repressing things is, is often used as a, as a bad thing. But actually, from my understanding of what you're saying, repressing those repressing your id is actually a good thing a lot of the time it's a protective thing yeah yeah so it's a protective thing that um if you're unable to deal with the intensity of certain emotions or if those emotions are unacceptable to you for some reason um then you will you will repress those or something i think we mentioned on another podcast we did a little while back you can channel those urges and those and that drive into something that's socially more acceptable Let's come back to that, but just quickly. So is, is it your ego that allows you to channel it into something else? So it's the ego that develops the defense mechanism. So the ego okay. is in the middle trying okay. to work out what's going on and think, right, okay, how am I going to balance this tension, this conflict between these two opposing forces? Well, if I develop a certain amount of defense mechanisms, then that will help be, this person to be able to function, develop their personality, to make judgments and decisions that are balanced. I'm assuming we're not aware of this process. No, it's it's entirely unconscious. So what would what would what's Freud's view of what's conscious and what's unconscious then? So the the id superego and ego are all unconscious. Essentially, yeah, I think there is crossover. I don't think it's quite okay. as black and white. There's a kind of pre-conscious, pre-conscious as well. So there's the idea that uh, most of your motives you're not aware of, although you might occasionally get a glimpse of these these drives and these urges. So you will sometimes become aware of them, but they're largely they're largely unconscious. Mm, that's interesting. Then, so would I be right in saying then that the habit of watching porn may not necessarily um, be why you think it is the, the reason why you're doing it could be different to what you think or is is it normally a case of that's a that's a id thing and it's very it's normally satisfying that instinctual drive satisfying that kind of sexual drive I mean if you wanted to stop doing that sometimes because maybe if you decide at some level that's not acceptable it conflicts with your superego and your rules that what you could do is you could develop a defense mechanism called reaction formation for example so every time you watch porn you feel ashamed and disgusted with yourself and if if that defense mechanism is activated then you're less likely to continue doing something if you're going to feel guilty ashamed and disgusted with yourself afterwards how would you go about doing that well you can you can construct that so you can i mean it it's pro might be something that probably happens anyway so for some people that uh, that maybe watch too much porn and they feel ashamed and disgusted then that's clearly conflicting with their their superego and that defense mechanism of reaction formation is being formed in order to, to stop that habit if you wanted to construct that and reinforce that then that's something you could do as well so if you really wanted to amplify that feeling of being ashamed and disgusted then that's that's one way that you could stop yourself doing doing that particular thing not going to feel very good implementing that defense yeah, mechanism course. but it's going to do the job It'll work so Okay, so imagine um, that you do, you are able to, to kind of break this habit of, of watching porn. If we, if we just go down this line for a second, your body still has um, this. May be outside of the realm of of uh, your understanding of, of Freud as well. I'm not sure, but if you 
stop watching porn and you 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 stop um, self-satisfying right whilst you're doing it if you're in a situation where you're not in a relationship and you're not meeting people you're not actively you don't have an active sex life I'm assuming that also could create problems because you know as as human beings you have you have natural um, requirements and I think is it in Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about requiring having sex as, mm-hmm. as part of a, a healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle so obviously on one hand you've got the body needs to have sex or some form of it and on the other hand if you don't have access to be able to do that that's potentially also going to create problems exactly so it like most things gary it's a continuum isn't it it's this idea that okay well what what is an unacceptable level of watching porn for me and you know are there other ways that i can satisfy myself sort of sexually as well so if you decide that too much porn is watching too much porn is is x amount however often that is then it's a case of well you know what what is acceptable to you to be able to meet that drive and desire because you're right you have that drive and desire you either channel it elsewhere or you decide what's acceptable level and what isn't acceptable level so it's very much individualistic yeah it's very much you know everything in life is about a continuum it's about you deciding well what is acceptable to me on that continuum what is what is too much what is unacceptable and uh if that is a certain point whether that whatever that might be then what am i going to do to be able to counteract that what am i going to do am i going to amplify that reaction formation to feel really disgusted and ashamed with myself and use pain to motivate myself or am i going to channel that sexual and aggressive energy into something that's socially more acceptable so let's let's talk about that how um i mean according to freud and and psychoanalysis how can you fulfill that um innate desire for sex or or channel that sexual energy outside of either a having more sex or say having this say having sex is is off the question right or it's having um sex often is off the table and you you know you've now stopped watching porn and you've got a build-up of this sexual energy according to psychoanalysis how or are there some proven strategies in which you can channel that, that that are that would work not so much proven strategies, but different paths that individuals might take based on their personality and their desires. So, for example, you know, you might get somebody channel it into art. You might get so, so lots of artists of all kinds. So you get artists and athletes, for example, you know, channeling into sport, something that's competitive still, something that still fulfills that desire. You get artists that channel their aggression into rap music, for example. You get artists that channel their, I mean, when I look at a painting, it means nothing to me. I'm not visual at all. <laughs> I don't, don't understand art at all. Whereas some people can see all the sexual themes and energies within that in. painting, they can tune in. Yeah. Um, so it's a case of finding something that fits right for you, whether that's art, sport, or music, I guess are the three that are most obvious. And you can see maybe how people might have channeled that when you can see fighters or rap artists that probably would have ended up in prison had they not found their talent and gone down that direction. So I I had a question um, asked of me, it's probably about a year ago, and I I didn't have an answer to it. So I'm going to see whether you can can assist me here. On the spot, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... um, what the, the question was basically that he understands how you can channel aggression into sport. So you get aggressive and you get a punch bag out and you channel your aggression. You physically use that force to, you know, smack the punching bag or play a racket sport, but physically use that, that aggression to doing something. 
What he wasn't able to do was that he said that his sexual energy is, is a buildup that he feels in a specific part of his body. But he didn't feel like exercise or, or artwork or anything. It was almost like it was blocked or repressed, rep, or repressed to a specific area of his body. And he was explaining that the only way that he could get rid of that feeling was either to have sex or to watch porn and, and to self-satisfy himself. Is there any uh, education from the realms of psychology that you know that could offer more insight into how to cope with that? Okay, well, I, I wonder, first of all, to what extent that might be a story that he's telling himself. Okay. Um, so I think, you know, this idea that it's impossible, uh, the, the bit like the challenges that we spoke about on another podcast, the idea that it's impossible for me to be able to channel this energy into something that isn't sex-related, I'm not sure whether that's biologically true or just a story that kind of suits suits him at the time. Um, but, you know, what I will say is... Uh, you know, we're talking about testosterone, aren't we, really? Okay. So testosterone... Is, so is, is testosterone is the... So testosterone is, is the male hormone that fuels sexual and aggressive drives, isn't it? So if you have, okay. if you have high testosterone levels, yep. then in theory, you could direct that testosterone towards either an activity that channels your aggression or yep. an activity that channels your, your sex drive as well. So in theory you should be able to channel it that way, even if it feels like having sex or doing something along those lines would be your preference. I don't know whether it has to be. That, that's interesting, Hoddy. So, so the, that, that feeling is, is, the, is testosterone in your body. And regardless of whether it's aggression or whatever it is, that, that testosterone can be channeled towards something. What about just what's coming up at the moment is when you exercise, you have an increase in testosterone anyway. So if you're if you if you've got high testosterone levels and you're training, would that not increase your testosterone levels even more and create more of a cycle for someone that would would struggle with this? That's a good question, actually. I mean, I don't know enough about the physiology of that. Whether so so exercising regularly increases your testosterone levels. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, I'd, yeah. I'd imagine it. I'd, I imagine it does. makes sense, but yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not sure about that. Okay. Yeah. No. No. That makes sense as well. Then. So if we if we just go back to um, you know someone that is struggling with the habit of watching porn and they they would like to 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 stop themselves from doing it. So we've discussed the the Freudian framework of how to channel it basically, and it's it's a feeling of testosterone and perhaps look at exercise or artwork or music or some form of creativity where you can channel that energy into something what about the actual habit creation and habit um changing now we touched on this in a previous episode but i feel like we could really delve into this a little bit more how is a what exactly is a habit like psychologically speaking i think you spoke about there's a trigger there's an action and then there's, yeah, if you could just... Yeah, so a, a habit is a, is a behavioral pattern. So okay. the habit, first of all, you have a particular trigger, okay. whatever that trigger may be, maybe a thought, maybe an emotion, maybe a situation or a person. Then that leads to the routine or the habit, which then leads to some kind of reward that yeah. you, you get from that habit. So as I mentioned before, there are no habits that don't serve you at some level or at least um, didn't, didn't used to serve you at some level. So taking um, what we're discussing about putting it into that framework, so the initial trigger could be that, that someone feels a, an increase in testosterone in their body, which they would label as a, a sexual urge. They have the habit and routine then of putting porn on. And then obviously the, 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 the part in which um, 
they are satisfied. Obviously, we don't need to mention exactly what it is, but yeah. you can see how that would create a loop mm-hmm. for, for, for a lot of people, where especially where porn is readily available and anyone can access it on their smartphone at any point. So actually that habit, I'm imagining, is probably an easy trap to fall into for a lot of people because you're instantly getting the, 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 the physical release of the testosterone in your body. So you're getting almost like a, an extra strong reinforcer that this is in fact a really good habit. Yeah, you are. But once again, you know, is is watching porn the only way to release endorphins, the only way to experience a release? It's not, is it? No. So I was this is this is what it brings me on onto what other things can can give you that that release or that that hit of endorphins or because I, I think you spoke in the la- one of the last episodes about replacing th- what you're getting out of it. So obviously, you know, if you are highly sexual obviously having sex is a different alternative to watching porn where you get you know a a better experience or a similar experience right but if that's off the table are there other things that you can do well once again it's it's anything that that releases endorphins anything that creates a release that um that releases that those chemicals that dopamine and that um the endorphins so anything that will allow you to do that whether it be sport or performing, or going to a comedy show, whatever it may be, even if there's a part of you that recognizes that your preference at some level may be to have sex or maybe to watch porn. It's okay, that there's no point in lying to yourself. If you recognize you would prefer to be doing that, but you've chosen to do something else instead, then that's fine. And the more you, often more frequently you take that path and you do that other thing instead, then that's likely to become habitual. So initially it may be difficult, but if you carry on with the new habit, what you'll find is that it becomes easier over time. Exactly. And what a lot of people do is they sort of lie to themselves that, you know, I really enjoy doing this. It's like like when people go on a diet and say, you know, I love this stick of celery. It's just as good as eating a donut. Well, you know, it's okay to admit that it isn't, but focus on the reward. Actually, the reward is I'm moving closer towards my goal. But when you've got powerful instinctual drives like this sexual drive, but also it's similar to fear as well. You know, fear is a very powerful primeval experience as well isn't it but as we mentioned again on another podcast if you have that fear reaction you have a moment where you can stop and you can choose to reappraise that situation so going back to the the Mm, question you were asked this idea what i have this sexual urge well actually rather than telling myself the story well the only way to satisfy this urge is to watch porn. You have a moment to decide whether that's helpful, whether that's balanced, and whether you can reappraise that in a way that gives you another option. That is a very insightful comment. So what you're saying is that even with instincts which are extremely powerful and strong, we still have the ability to interrupt that that thought and and decide on our course of action to see whether there's a better one. Where, but if we don't have anything else that we can do to satisfy that need or that desire or that instinct, we're obviously going to go for the one that we know about. Spot on. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just, just being aware then that you can channel it into anything else, that could be enough to interrupt that pattern to allow you to direct that energy somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's finding that reward, first of all, being clear on what the reward is and what can I do that's, that's close to achieving a similar reward, a similar benefit. That's that's the, the most important thing. And then recognizing that you can interrupt even powerful instinctual drives and emotions 
with practice. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but you do have the ability to do it, but you have to keep doing it. And every time you do it, it will start to become a little bit easier. But it's this idea when an overwhelming emotion comes, whether it be fear or a sexual drive, it's this idea that this is too much, a bit like the story your client was saying, mm. this is too much, it's too powerful. I have no control over this. The only thing I can do is fight or flight if it's fear or watch porn if it's if it's a sexual drive. But you do you do have a choice. You, you can engage with your cognitive capacities yeah to to reappraise i'm just taking in what you're saying yeah it's 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 fundamentally the fact that when you can't cope your inner dialogue tells you that there's no options and it's the only thing that you can do so actually can you think about this in advance so say you are someone that, that really struggles with this can you do like a, um, a visualization or something in advance where you can imagine that happening, imagine this instinct coming up, but imagining yourself acting differently or feeling like you have a choice? Because I would imagine, I mean, this is specifically with fear with me, but in the past when I felt really scared of things, over time when I've beaten that fear, it's because I felt like I've got other options or I felt like I'm not buying into that fear quite as much. So would, how, how could you, in advance of it happening, how could you give yourself more options? Well, I think the way you described is a really good example, doing some mental imagery exercise so you're mentally preparing yourself for that high-risk situation. You know when it is that you're likely to experience that urge and you mentally prepare a different reaction. I mean, talking about lack of choice, I mean, what we're essentially talking about here as well is addiction. So the idea of addiction is compulsion, is I have no choice, I have to do this. And actually, it's changing the language and changing this this rigid way of thinking that I, I absolutely have no choice. When you do have a choice, you just don't know how to take that choice yet. It's polarized thinking again. It isn't is polarized it? thinking, yeah. Yeah, coming up and hijacking your mind, hijacking your. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, back yeah. to other things we discussed, yeah. So could you just. Um, Visualization is quite a, quite a big topic. Um, in your experience, what's the best way of, of attacking this? What's, what's the best. V- form of visualization that you would teach someone if you were going to educate them on this the best form of visualization or how you how you would go about um, yeah how how would you if you were going to do a visualization or you were going to teach someone how to do it is there a specific way of doing it do you want to embrace the the whole feeling the leading up to it do you want to feel what you'd feel see what you'd see how what's the best way so i think yeah first of all all this visualization or mental imagery sometimes it's called it's always more effective when you can relax, first of all. So the first thing, if you're feeling tense, if you're not in the best of moods, to do something for a couple of minutes to relax, first of all, whether that be deep breathing or or clearing your mind for a minute or so, meditating for a couple of minutes, the more relaxed you are, the more vivid the visualization will be. So that's the first thing. First thing is do something to relax for a couple of minutes, first of all. Just before you carry on with that, would that also be an effective strategy when the instincts or feelings come up? Could you interject with just calming down and relaxing? Or is it not strong enough? It's, it's sometimes a bit too big a jump sometimes. Okay. So uh, I, would, I would sort of, um, yes, it's an option. Okay, but it's not, okay, it doesn't fulfill the same habit loop as, as what you discussed. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, again, but it depends if, if there's thoughts that come with it is key. So when, when this drive comes along, so the drive comes along and the thought will be, I have to do this thing. Yeah. I have to watch porn. I have to do this thing, this compulsion, this, I have no choice. And it's stepping back from that and balancing that thought in the way we've discussed on other podcasts. 
So this this compulsion is must happen in every not necessarily for for porn, but it must just people must just feel compelled to do things all the time. But I'm just thinking it may not be a bad thing. What if your compulsion is to exercise? That's not necessarily a bad thing, is it? No, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Because actually, so, the, the term compulsion to me indicates it's a bad thing. That's how I would think about it. But actually, just by what you've said, clearly it's not. Because if you're compelled to do stuff that's healthy, that's beneficial to yourself and society, that's a very good attribute. Absolutely, yes. Compulsion, if it's used in the right way, can be channeled towards discipline, towards things that are purposeful and meaningful to you. Yeah, this is it's interesting. So if we can, um, if we can, sorry, I go interrupted. Back to the, yeah, go to visualization. Okay. I, I interrupted. So I, yeah. I think the two key points. First of all, relax first. Secondly, is and you alluded to it earlier on this idea that it's a full body sensory experience. So when people use so the term visualization suggests it's just a visual thing, whereas this is why one of the reasons I prefer the term mental imagery because it's the idea that it's not just visual; it's auditory, it's kinesthetic, it's bringing in all those sensations, all the sensory experiences to make that experience as vivid as possible through all the senses is not just visual so so it's immersive it's immersive and as you said see what you see hear what you hear access and activate all your senses not just visual because for example if like me you're not a visual learner if you don't experience the world primarily in a visual way which i don't then sounds and feelings are going to be very important as well and how long should a visualization take roughly is it or is it just again independent for everyone it's, I guess it's independent for everybody. The ones I tend to record and prescribe for my clients tend to be about sort of eight to 10 minutes long because okay. any longer than that, I find it's difficult to hold your attention for that amount of time. Any shorter than that, you can't always get the, the vivid experience of immersing yourself in that particular scene. And how often, I mean, again, is this individual again, but how often do you prescribe that your clients do something like I that? I prescribe my clients do this absolutely every day until the new habit is, is formed until the new habit is formed and, and what's the what's the benefit of um doing a visualization i mean from a psychological point of view what's the benefit of thinking about it in advance as opposed to just trying to deal with it in the moment well, I think it mentally prepares you so you're not caught off guard, which is something I think we've mentioned before as well. I think a lot of habits come along and bad decisions happen when we are caught off guard. So if you, in advance, know when your high-risk situations are of taking the wrong path or making the wrong decision, if you know when they are and you can, in advance, work out a strategy and mentally image yourself in this situation, overcoming temptation and taking the right path, then your mind is less likely to be caught off guard. And also it mentally prepares you because if you've seen yourself do something in your mind before, you are familiar with the idea that it's possible and that you have that choice now. So it's almost, it almost gives you confidence that you can act differently. It does give you confidence, yeah. yeah. It gives and if you confidence in your ability that you can take a different path. Yeah, and obviously if you've seen it in your mind, I can imagine that you... Yeah, you've 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 already gone down a different path, and you feel like more comfortable because the first time you do something new, you don't really know where you're going, and if you can't physically do it in a moment, I guess thinking about it in advance is it makes very it possible first, then comfortable afterwards. Yeah, that's a because I mean, as we know, every everything has to start and be seen in the mind yeah. first of all, no matter what that is. It's a very good distinction. Um, we were discussing something earlier about the word channeling, um, about channeling energy. Now. That is a global term. What 
does it actually mean? I mean, when you say channeling aggression, I, you know, we understand that you, you take your energy and you channel it into something, but for a lot of people that, that doesn't actually make sense. You know, how do you do that? And, and that's a bit of a weird question, but I think you understand. Okay. So how, so it's directing, directing the, those feelings or that drive towards something that is going to give you some kind of reward or benefit. How do you direct it? Because you're saying you direct it, you've got this energy. Say you want to direct, you've got this aggressive energy and you want to direct it into going running. Do you have to mentally think about moving that energy into going running? Do you imagine running, channeling that energy in your mind into doing it? That's a good question. You can do, you could do. Yeah. Uh, that wouldn't be a bad thing to do. I think it's just something that um, that people just kind of do. I think they find... <laughs> they find well, I think it's a case of... of People will know what wouldn't suit them, and maybe that's the starting point. So you might say, "Well, I've got I've got this this drive of some kind. How can I imagine fulfilling this drive? How can I imagine using this in a way that this drive is not distracting to me in some way? Could I imagine running? Well, no, running is not my thing. Could I imagine boxing? Could I imagine um, whatever it may be? Could I imagine writing a song? Could I imagine performing? That's a great dis distinction, Hoddy. So. The question you ask yourself is, how can I channel this energy into something that will suit me? That's, that is unbelievably powerful and life-changing, I guess, for a lot of people because everyone is different. And, you and know, sometimes, you know, starting yeah. from the point of, of knowing what won't suit you, maybe that's where you start. That's also a very good question as well. So what you, are, you would ask what wouldn't. If somebody said, well, I'm not sure, I could say, well, what kind of things can you can you not imagine yourself doing at all? So somebody might say, well, I could say, well, you can go and punch the bag, go and do some boxing. I say, oh, no, boxing. Boxing is not for me. That's not something I, that I would do. It's not how I, would, I wouldn't enjoy. It's not how I, I see myself. It's not consistent with my self-image. But maybe maybe painting might be or... or putting uh, some heavy metal on and whacking it up to, <laughs> to, uh, to 11, as Spinal Tap would say. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's something and, you know, jump around, dance around, whatever it may be. And they say, well, that I can imagine doing. How do you give yourself permission to do something like that and something new? Because I would imagine that taking the first step to doing anything new is fraught with difficulties, worries and anxiety. So it may be okay to think about punching a punch bag in the gym, how do you go from having that insight to physically taking the steps to going and doing it? Because I'd imagine that can be a sticking point for a lot of people. It can be, although I'm not, not entirely sure. I think we know the brain likes novelty, for example. We know the brain pays more attention to new and different things that you do. Okay. And I think most, people, most people's routine in life doesn't vary very much, does it? And I yeah. think that if you do something new and you frame it as something that's exciting and different... The brain might pay attention to that, and that may not be quite the obstacle that you think it might be. So I think if I think lots of people just get stuck in the comfort zone of doing the same thing, not necessarily by choice, but by default. And I think because we know that novelty in increases happiness, if you do something different, it's more likely to make you happier because you pay more attention to it. But actually, I'm not sure whether it's as straightforward as doing something new has to be really challenging to start doing. No, yeah, I, I take on board exactly what you say there. The, the, you made a very interesting point as well about it being, having some kind of fun attached to it. Could you, could you talk about that a little bit more, actually? I, I know we're actually going to do a separate podcast on, on happiness, but that's a really interesting point where 
you know, if you do have an energy that you'd, you'd like to, to, to transmute or to channel, and obviously you can say stuff, how can I imagine myself doing this? Could you also say, how can I imagine myself using this in a fun and exciting way? And that's going to allow you to be more excitable about doing something new? I guess so. I guess it depends how important fun is to you as well. <laughs> okay, I've opened, I've opened up Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> So this idea that something has to be fun to make it more appealing, possibly. But but novelty is a word that you used. Novelty, that, yeah. So is the, that just to start something new? The novelty. Or yes. Is that, okay. Yes. So the yeah, I think, you know, the more often you can start new hobbies, develop new interests, the brain will give that a lot of attention initially, and then over time it starts to get used to it, then gives it less attention. So one thing you can do, which again fits in more with the happiness stuff, perhaps, but uh, but doing doing different things regularly is something that not only is good for happiness, but is good for taking you outside of your comfort zone, which is good for your mental health and mental toughness. I also imagine that the more open you are to try new things, the more like you are, likely you are to stumble across something that you actually thoroughly enjoy. Exactly. And then you'll, you'll get the enjoyment aspect of doing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that the whole um, concept of, of channeling, because again, um, I I go running and um, I think about, I start off my run quite slow and I think about things that frustrate or annoy me. And when I bring them up, I, I use a breathing technique to channel it. So I, I imagine this feeling, it's actually normally in my jaw or in my face. And I, I breathe in and I imagine that going to my legs and all of a sudden I've got all of this energy. So I, I can channel when I'm, when I'm running in that vein. And I was trying to describe this to a client of mine and I... I, I couldn't communicate or articulate exactly how I did that. Mm -hmm. So although I was asking you earlier on, how do you do that? I, so see, I yeah. see what you mean. That's a good, that's a good example. So yes, if you can, if you can actually isolate and become aware of where in the body that feeling is, okay. then you can, you can play around with the idea using your imagination of moving that feeling around your body as you described. And, and that's something actually that I do, I do do with my clients with certain emotions, but you're right. I mean, if you can do it with emotions, then you can do it with an instinctual drive as well. Why not? It's not something that, that I've tried, but it's a good suggestion. That's super interesting. So we might as well go down this route a little bit. What, what, what emotions would you do this with your clients with? So I, I think what happens, so for example, I had one client who was very much a thinker and not a feeler. Okay, so the way he experienced the world was primarily in thoughts and didn't really do feelings. And the problem with that is he had a really busy mind, very strong internal dialogue, sometimes self-critical internal dialogue as well, and didn't really do emotions, didn't really do feelings. So one thing I wanted to do is to get him more in touch with feelings, get him more used to the idea. He knows what a thought is. He's thinking thousands of them all day long. But what he isn't really doing is getting in touch with his feelings and understanding. So he doesn't do feelings. He's okay. kind of yeah. frightened of feelings almost. So what I encouraged him to do is to... to Think of an experience and then really get in touch with the feeling. And to imagine, one thing I say to my clients quite a lot is imagine your body like a giant sponge. Imagine your whole body is like a giant sponge and then imagine absorbing every single drop of that feeling. Imagine drinking that feeling up into your body and then imagine that feeling moving around your body as well. And for somebody like him who isn't really used to feelings, that's something that, that's quite challenging. But what it did, it got him used to, instead of being overwhelmed by thoughts and thinking, it got him more into a, into a feeling mode. Yeah, that's... <clears throat> That's a brilliant piece of advice. I, I've um, personally done done some of these things as well, where you know I 
I would bring up feelings and give them a color and let them flow through my body till they went yeah, white. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, but actually, you know what, what I found about that actually is that um, I found it was too sedentary for me. And, and actually, by exercising and doing the same exercise while I'm exercising, I actually channeled that energy into becoming fitter and stronger. So for me, actually lying down and doing a meditation on that was nowhere near as beneficial actually channeling it into, into something which is going to benefit my life. But again, I think coming back to your personality, the fact that you're high, quite high energy yeah. and the fact that you're quite in touch with your emotions as well, maybe that wouldn't be quite the best fit for you. Yeah. Whereas for somebody who's not not in touch with their emotions so much, somebody who, when they experience feelings, can't always articulate them, can't always yeah. label them. What it does, it really focuses your attention on the emotion and where in the body that is. And then once you learn the ability to be able to move that emotion around the body, then you become much more aware of that emotion, much more in touch with that emotion. I love having you on the show because, you know, I, I when I try and describe these things that I can do to people, I, for me, it's just I can do them and I, I really struggle to like articulate the way in which I can do it. And you actually offer really good explanation <laughs> on how, how to actually physically Thank do you. it from, I'm assuming, from all the therapy and clients that you've seen. Yes. 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 18 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if we, if we bring this full circle, right, let's just go back around to the psychoanalysis and the, the superego, the id and the ego. So... Taking a more global perspective on this, you were saying that, that most people, according, according to fraud and psychology, feel torn between these two things on a daily basis. Or is it literally all the time that, that they're, they're, they're alive? Yeah, all the, all the time. The state is one of conflict. Conflict, so, that's yes, the term, yeah. Conflict between these two opposing forces. And... Is, I mean, obviously, psychoanalysis is a very long and, and drawn out form of therapy, from my understanding. Yes, yes, it is. And again, I'm not a qualified psychoanalyst. I think to, to do the full training is something like seven or eight years to wow. qualify as a, a psychoanalyst. Yes, yeah, a long time. And so is, is there any general advice that you could offer people that feel like their life is in conflict? So they, they feel like, you know, they either have the rules are too strict from their superego or their desires were a little bit out, instincts were a little bit out of control from their id. Is there any advice that you could give someone to, to balance them a little bit better? Is there any general advice on that? Yeah, well, I think, again, if we, it depends whether I've got my Freudian hat on or what. what's... Uh, so from a Freudian perspective, it would be recognising if it's your id, what are these instinctual drives? Is so, so, sorry, so labelling them first. What is so, this? So for, well, first of all, it's recognising, okay, what is the conflict? What am okay. I feeling? Is it is it my id... That is, yep. is it all these section and aggressive drives that I'm aware of and causing the problem? Or is it my superego telling me I can't do this, I can't do that? Because if you have an overdeveloped superego, you're going to get no enjoyment or happiness from life because your, your head is just going to be one big rule book list of things you can't do. We, know, we all know someone like that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's take Joe Bloggs, for example, who has too many rules and his life is, is not very happy because of this. What can we do? we can balance those rules up in the same way that we did in other podcasts. So look at these rules. If they're set in stone, if they're rigid and they will be, it's very much like the 10 commandments. Thou so shalt like do not do this. Yeah. It's so a dogmatic rules. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's looking at them and, and making them less punitive by balancing them, looking at them as preferences, not rules through which to live your life 100% of the time. 
Does this not um, bring up uh, a sense of Animal Farm for you, where the rules were changed and the meaning was changed off the back of it? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Is that is that kind of it? Because that's it. That's an interesting concept as well. You, you're taking these dogmatic rules and you're you're balancing them. How do you know if you're if you're balancing them right? Because I'm assuming there's a confidence issue there as well. You know, I've I've lived by this dogmatic approach to my life for 50 years, and what you're saying is that I don't need to. And it's like what. Well, well, I can't cope with that. Like, how, how, how can I do that? It's not always a, a, a quick process. You're absolutely yeah, I was right. Because they become deeply ingrained. They almost feel like they're part of who you are from childhood. And sometimes people hold on to rules, even if they don't help them because of familiarity. You know, it's, <laughs> We're uh, all guilty of that. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, fear of change, fear of the unknown. So you hold on to those rules, even though you know they're not helping you. So it's almost like many things. You get to a point of pain where you realize I'm getting no happiness from life. Life is torturous. Something needs to change. How can I go about doing this? Even if it is out of my comfort zone, even if I'm fearful I realize something has to change because I cannot continue to live like this. Yeah, I can, I can really, yeah, it's just amazingly interesting. I think this would be um, just, a, just a great place to, uh, to end this episode. I mean, I think the best thing to do, if, if, if what Hoddy just said to you resonates with you um, and you feel like you can't balance your life and it is out of alignment, um, I think making an appointment to see a therapist or, or someone who's trained to be able to help with that would be extremely beneficial. Um, I actually recommend a lot of my clients to Hoddy anyway, um, because of just of his level of precision in thinking and dealing with these problems. So Hoddy, how, how, you know, someone's struggling with this, you know, I know you, first of all, we can share your website and things like that later, but if someone can't afford to, to go down the route of, of therapy with you, I know that you do a lot of like Facebook live videos, you write blog content, stuff like that. How can people get access to the free stuff initially? Sure. So I have three um th ebooks first of all so i have three for three ebooks <laughs> three ebooks we're getting there <laughs> yes so um very specific to certain to certain problems people might face so one is overcoming anxiety which is relevant to some of the things we discussed the other one is emotional eating and the other one is building confidence and self-esteem so there are there are ebooks that i have first of all and yes on my business page on facebook i'm regularly on a daily basis pretty much i'm posting blogs and articles sharing advice sharing strategies and i do lives at least once or twice a week as well so my facebook business page would be the place to go to and and people can can people post questions to you and and, and ask you questions that you do you cover them in in your live broadcast if if people listening saying look I, they they messed you Hoddy, I really need help with this is that something that you help with in your live broadcast absolutely and, things like that? and I'm always looking for for new and interesting things to talk about as well yeah. you know, I love talking about this stuff as you know and uh, my my knowledge is fairly fairly broad I've covered lots of areas I have the depth of knowledge but also there's lots of different aspects of psychology and behavior change and habits that I like to talk about so if somebody wants to, me to talk about a particular thing I'm happy to do a, a, a live entirely on that area if enough people get in touch that's really interesting Hoddy and and I'm assuming just one thing that's coming up that might prevent people from doing that is they might feel um, a little bit intimidated about posting this on a on a public forum so if someone really needs help with something can they, they can't afford your services are they, can they contact you via email to, to ask you the question that way instead that's a good way of doing it and people have done that yes okay that's great there so so your website is hoddy k-h-o-d-y.co.uk that's correct and your facebook page is hoddy mind coach hoddy mind so coach k-h-o-d-y again mind coach yeah hoddy once again it's been um 
you've blown my mind actually just with your understanding of the, the, the psychology attached to breaking habits and the instincts that we have. It's, I, I just find this area so interesting. Thank you. I do too. Yeah, yeah. So again, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. An enlightening episode there with Hoddy. Um, obviously, this area is extremely complicated. So if you've got any further questions or anything else that you're struggling to deal with, all you need to do is go to my YouTube channel, just type in The Gary Gunn Show on YouTube and post a comment on one of my videos. And if I get enough call for it, we'll get Hoddy back on the show and go into even more detail. Um, so I hope you enjoyed the episode. And don't forget that if you want to access my whole back catalogue of interviews for free, all you have to do is search for The Gary Gunn Show on the iTunes Store or any podcast player. 